Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We are going to continue our service together now. And uh, I'm going to pray for us in a moment, but let me first read 1 Thessalonians 5:16 to 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's the end of a quarter uh, in 2022, and so uh, what a great moment to thank God for all that He has done in our lives, all that he is, and all that he's doing in our church over the last three months. So let's pray together and thank God for all of this stuff. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for your sovereign grace. We thank you that you rule and reign in power and wisdom. And we thank you for your love in adopting your people into your family. Jesus, we thank you for your loving compassion. We thank you that you are a guest of sinners and a God who came near. We thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your gracious help. We thank you for always being with us, and we thank you for applying wisdom to our hearts, making the dead come alive and helping the deaf hear. God, we thank you for all that you are, and we thank you for this term. On a personal level, Lord, we thank you for giving us the grace to get through this term. We thank you for those who have been through lockdowns, that you were there with us. We thank you for those with added stress on studies with a shorter term, that you helped us get those things finished. We thank you for our work and our jobs that at times may have been stressful or hard or difficult. We thank you that you helped us do those things. We thank you for the work of our parents, for another term raising kids and working hard to help them flourish and see Jesus. We thank you for our health, and we thank you, Lord, that we can be here today, healthy enough to make it to church and hear you speak and be with your people. God, we also want to thank you for what happened here at our church in this last term. We thank you for the many people who have come to experience your church here at Southside over the last three months. We thank you for the mission opportunities we had. We thank you for the boldness to invite. And we thank you for our mission course for Alpha that it was able to run. We thank you for our growth groups. We thank you particularly for our leaders who helped us grow and see Jesus and be with us in those difficult moments. We thank you for our teams who serve at church. We thank you, Lord, for people who over the last term poured their life out for you. We thank you that what is done in the Lord is not in vain. We thank you for the opportunities to gather each week. We thank you for music, for our music teams and our tech teams, and we thank you for the chance each week to reorbit our lives on you. We thank you too, Lord, for our kids and our kids' ministry. We thank you for a term where they've been able to hear about Jesus and for our leaders who continue to turn up and teach and model Jesus. And we thank you for our youth and our youth leaders. We thank you that there is a space where they can belong and grow in a tricky season of life. Lord, there's so much to be thankful for. 
This is only just the beginning. We thank you for all of these things because you are the good giver of all good gifts. And we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to read the Bible now as well. And uh, we're reading from Acts chapter 20, verse 25 to 38. If you've got your Bibles there, feel free to open them or it will be on the screen as well. And we're going to pick it up from verse 25. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For uh, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And if I flick that on, that could be better. My name's Ross, if we haven't met. Welcome, everyone. Uh, it's exciting to be here this morning as we talk about some matters with the church. But before I do, just to uh, let you know that on Friday, something really special happened here at church in that uh, for us as a church here at Southside, we talk about our vision to make and grow disciples, to reach the 1% of our community, many people for Jesus. We talk about what our mission is a lot. But we had the opportunity on Friday to have uh, a couple of people, Andrew and Kathy Hurd, come and speak to us about ministry and leadership. And we had uh, 12 other church leaders and uh, a whole bunch of women come along to hear them speak. And it was just a really encouraging time to get those churches together in one room to think about leadership, to think about our mission for God uh, and how God holds the church so precious and the responsibility we have. Uh, and I just thought it was good to share with you guys that we are actually having... Uh, a great influence in encouraging other churches as well as just focusing on our stuff. So it's praise God point. We are going to talk about um, stuff going on in the life of the church uh, now, but how about I pray first? Dear Father God, just thank you for the opportunity for us to be here, sitting in here. But I thank you for the way you use us as a church in ways we don't often think about, the way we uh, have witness in our community, to our friends and family around us. We thank you for the way we can encourage and build up other churches around us because, Lord, we long to see more people changed for you. We long to see more people in the kingdom. And we thank you for involving us in that mission. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that leaders are under the microscope at the moment. If you're a leader, you're like, it's like a sport in Australia, isn't it? To criticise, to bag out, to critique 
our leaders. Whether you're in politics, and it is election season now, so we see lots of politics in the, in the news, they're all being critiqued, they can't do anything right, even when they're giving us money, we all tend to bag them out for doing things. Even if you're in a sports team, I found it really interesting that if you're the Australian cricket captain, the standards we hold them to, Steve Smith, uh, influenced with a bit of sandpaper and a ball, stuff on the field, loses his captaincy, he's not good enough to be our leader of the Australian cricket team. Tim Payne comes along, does everything right on the field, but off the field, it's not good enough, it's not what we expect for a leader, he loses his job. So even sports, we hold up to a high regard. Let alone churches, you know, just in the last week or two, seeing what's uh, happening with the Hillsong and how the structures are uh, changing through Brian Houston and stuff he's done, not preaching from the pulpit, the stuff he's done, you might say, behind closed doors. Uh, it's all been revealed. And we hide them, we hold them up to such high regard that we hold them accountable. We have high expectations. And for good reasons. They're in positions to lead. And if you're in a position to lead, there's an expectation that other people will follow. You know that old saying, if you think you're a good leader, just have a look over your shoulder just to see if anybody's following you. Otherwise, you're just a person going for a walk. Leaders lead and they expect people to follow. So therefore, we have high expectations. And for us here at Southside, as Ben mentioned before, we're going through a season of uh, appointing two new elders. Uh, they're leaders of our church. They're the ones that hold us accountable, held, hold us accountable to be on vision. They're responsible for all those things. So we have this tension then that we have these leaders that uh, are appointed in all churches. It's a biblical thing to have elders as leaders. But at the same time, culturally, we're not just going to follow anyone. We're actually going to be a bit sceptical about leaders, particularly when it comes to organisations and institutions. So it begs the question then, if it's our nature not to follow leaders, but we're told biblically, and this is what we're doing in practice, we're appointing two new leaders, what's the sort of leader that you would follow? What are you looking for in a leader like an elder, somebody who's responsible for the direction of the church? What sort of characteristics do you want to see? What qualifications, what characters, what qualities? See, I want to share with you this morning a passage that captures so much of the sort of person that I want to follow as a leader. A leader I would trust, a leader I would respect, a leader I would do anything for. Because it's passages like the one we've just had read for us in, in Acts that shapes the way we should view our elders. Uh, so we are going to go through a nominating process and I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But is this the way we see our elders from the sort of passage we're going to see this morning? What makes a leader that I want to follow is what's going to be uh, presented before us in Paul's words to a group of guys who are the Ephesian elders. Because these are the words, if you've sort of picked up what's going on in that passage in Acts chapter 20, it's the Apostle Paul, uh, he's gone around, he's been setting up churches everywhere and in that process of setting up churches, he's been appointing leaders, sometimes he'll uh, leave that for the job. The first thing you've got to do when you set up a church, appoint leaders to, to govern your church, to lead your church well. And he's moved on from town to town, but now he's on his road to Jerusalem. 
So it's gone, you know, Jerusalem's the center, center of uh, the Jewish religion. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus died just outside of Jerusalem. The gospel has gone out from there, but Paul's gone, planted all these churches, and now he's on the way back. And he knows if he's going to proclaim the message of Jesus, it's not going to be popular because there's a lot of Jewish leaders. Remember the Jews were the ones that killed Jesus. So if he goes back to Jerusalem proclaiming Jesus, there's a good chance he'll be killed and he won't be returning back. But on his way back to Jerusalem, he pops, pops into this place uh, where he meets up with some elders that he spent time with. Paul spent about two years in Ephesus, got to know these guys, pointed them as elders, and he's saying his farewell speech on his way back, on his road trip back to Jerusalem. This is where we pick up the story. And it's, there's lots in here that Paul talks about his leadership, but he's also encouraging them in their leadership as elders. This is what I've done now you need to do this as well. So this is where we pick up the conversation. He says four things, four things they need to care about. The first one is they need to care enough to save. Now this has got, uh, we pick this, this up in uh, some bits like, what is he talking about? And he's talking about an Old Testament uh, idea of a, a watchman who watches and keeps safe, uh, keeps the, the, the town safe. I'll explain that in a sec. But his words are, therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So you jump in there and you just go, what is he talking about? And he's actually picking up an Old Testament idea, uh, it comes up a few times, particularly in Ezekiel, about this idea of a watchman. Now you've got to think, um, you know, 2,000 years ago, a lot of the cities were threatened by their enemies, so they would build walls around their city, and a strong gate so when the enemy come at least they've got a chance of defending themselves and a watchman's job was to stand at the top of the wall particularly over the gate watching out for the enemy daytime and nighttime if the enemies came if he spotted the enemy his job was to blow a trumpet to warn everybody come inside the walls shut the gates to keep the enemy out and so you're safe inside if the watchman didn't do his job enemy could come in if he gets inside the gates particularly with swords he's going to start killing your people the watchman's job is really important in fact uh, many times they talk about if your job as a watchman and you're on duty and particularly if you're on watch duty overnight if you fall asleep actually you won't just lose your job you could lose your life because your other people's lives depend on you we don't want you falling asleep you can be killed if you fail at your job so the job's really important, this idea of watchman. And if we go to somewhere, God uses this picture as a watchman uh, when he talks about leadership and leadership over God's people. Here's a couple of verses out of Ezekiel. He's talking about if the watchman sees the sword coming, like the enemy coming, and does not blow the trumpet to warn his people, and the sword comes in and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. Now, he's using a very visual metaphor of the, this is how the world really works, but in a spiritual sense, uh, the church leaders or the leaders of the people to blow the trumpet, to warn people there's danger, and the danger is sin. The sin is when we rebel against God and reject God. So if, if you're doing things that don't align with glorifying God, they should be warning you, look out, you're on dangerous territory. You could die because you need Jesus, you need to repent, you need to turn back to God for life so he's saying somebody if, you, if they don't hear that message 
the trumpet being blown, they could die, as in perish, or we could say go to hell, uh, rather than heaven and find life, because of their sin. That's their choice, it's their fault, you might say. But, God says, I will hold the watchmen accountable for their blood. So the leader of the people is held responsible. If you lose one of your flock, if they don't believe in Jesus, if they don't find life, deal with their sin, trust in Jesus and find life and go to heaven for eternity, their blood is on your hands or on your head sometimes they use the statement. This is the background, a watchman, really important job, a leader of God's people, really important. You're a watchman. And this is what Paul says, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. What he's saying is, I've been blowing the trumpet. I've been telling you, sin's a problem. You need to turn back to God. You need to repent. You need Jesus to find life. That's his blowing the trumpet. I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So I've been putting it out there. Every, I've been blowing the trumpet loud. I'm convinced that I've given everybody warning. I'm not responsible if you guys don't listen to that. In fact, a little bit earlier in his speech, he says these words. He says, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be, un uh, I've, sorry, you know that I've not, preached, not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught to you publicly and from house to house. I've declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That's Paul going around, blowing his trumpet, the trumpet of the gospel. Trust in Jesus and you will find life. Paul says, I've gone house to house, I've preached publicly to everybody, Jews, Greeks, everybody's got the message. This is Paul being the watchman. Now, it's, it's a big message and it's a, an important message and he's got this conviction because he knows people's eternal life, their souls matter. And this is concerning so much. Paul is willing to put himself on the line. This is what he lives for, to see people saved in Jesus. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Repentance in Jesus is real. But it's not always a popular message, isn't it? Is it? It's not always easy to have this kind of conviction. During this week, I was interested, I watched some of uh, the broadcast of Shane Warne's funeral. Broadcast to over a billion people. And there are a number of times when it was said that Warney was a good guy and he's in heaven. Can you imagine standing up there and just going, hey, hang on a minute, actually, being a good guy won't get you into heaven. Faith in Jesus is the only way. There's 30,000 people in the stadium watching you. A billion people watching on TV saying something like that not a popular message but yet that's what a watchman is called to do stand up and go be careful look out don't miss out on life otherwise sin will drag you into death keep blowing that trumpet needs conviction so even for us in our day for our leaders they need to have the conviction heaven is real hell is real people will go to hell because of their sin and their rebellion against God. You matter. Your kids matter. Your family matters. Our community matters. We are the watchmen. 
that blow that trumpet. Now, we want an elder that wouldn't do anything less, that wouldn't give up on us. Well, you know, they didn't listen. No, no, they need to keep blowing the trumpet here at Southside. You need to know that your elder cares for your soul so much that they're not afraid to have hard conversations because sometimes it's not popular even with our own um, conversations here with our friends. Say, how? How are you going with dealing with sin in your life? Because I care for you so I want to see, I long to see you in eternity, in heaven, with Jesus forever. There's no room for giving up. Our elders are in the business of saving lives by proclaiming Jesus. They're responsible for it. So that's the first thing. Elders should care enough to save, even though it might not be a, a, a popular message. They also need to care enough to protect. Uh, now, this is a longer passage. My first two points are a bit longer. Second two are shorter, by the way. But care enough to protect. And Paul says two things. You've got to watch over yourselves and watch over others. The first one is to watch over yourselves. Now, when we think of our elders, we do have high expectations of our elders, and Ben mentioned there's a couple of other passages that outline our expectations or the characteristics of an elder. Uh, we presented a couple of weeks ago, and there's books kicking around in the foyer and out in the cube there. If you want to, if you didn't grab one, have a look. But there's a whole lot of, there's a whole list of things. Oh, if I do a quick count, there's 15 things that we expect our elders to look like. Things, characteristic things. You might go, is he? Uh, hospitable and loving, tick or not tick. But yeah, it's that sort of thing. Of, of the bar is set high to keep watch over yourselves. But it's not just because this is the job description. You've got to have a guy with you know, good credibility. It actually influences you and I, the lives of our elders. Paul says uh, in 1 Timothy, he says this line, Watch your life and doctrine closely. He's talking to church leaders in this passage. Watch your life and doctrine closely. So how you live and what you believe. Not just for their sake though. Notice this. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's the health of our leaders, the health of our elders, impact, directly impact the health of the church, how you're going. So it's actually, we don't just want to hold them in high regard to be critical. We want to hold them in high regard uh, so, because we know that impacts how we are as a church. And it makes sense. If they're the ones leading you towards Jesus, you want to know that they're living lives that are walking towards Jesus. It actually really matters. Keep watch over yourselves. Message to the elders. But he goes on to say, not just keep watch over yourselves because you've got a bigger job than that. And he talks about being a shepherd, shepherding the flock. And he goes on to say, watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now that's interesting that we are going through a process. We nominate elders. Uh, they meet up with um, the existing elders and we do some training and then we come before you to have a final vote. Are, you, are they your leaders? We have a process. But what Paul's saying here, it's actually the Holy Spirit is a part of that process, developing and, and bringing men forward to be those leaders. So God's involved in the process. Be shepherds, he says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This is a big responsibility. 
I'm not sure if you've uh, had an, an opportunity to look after something that belongs to somebody else that's really, really expensive and precious. There's a lot of pressure on that. I used to be a motor mechanic and I had one customer with a show vehicle, you know, everything chromed, everything polished up, not one scratch on his old E.H. Holden, uh, so fully restored, and he would take to shows and win trophies for this car. Now, when I was responsible for that, doesn't matter whether I was driving it or I was on the hoist, to scratch that car, it would have mirrors under his car, so you could not even scratch underneath the car. There was a lot of pressure. Not only was it really expensive, it was really precious to him. And I had to take extra care. Can you imagine taking possession of something, say, look after this for me, it's cost me a lot, the blood of my son, my son died for this? That's what we are as the church. We are so precious to God that God would give up his son Jesus to die for us. This is a precious group of people we've got here. And God's saying to the elders, the leaders, take care of them, be shepherds of them. You need to feel the weight of that, that we're doing something amazing for God uh, in him giving us that responsibility. And he says, it's not an easy job because there will be threats. He goes on to say in verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves, still using the, the uh, shepherding analogy, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw, the, draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Now, it's one thing to say there's threats that are coming in from the outside. People with different doctrines, different beliefs and different lifestyles coming in to threaten what we hold value, what we value and hold on to as the gospel. But Paul says, no, no, it's much more dangerous than that. Even within, there's potential for division and disunity, gossip and slander. The New Testament talks a lot about the way the church conducts themselves and it's not always good. The church does a good job in turning in on itself. So it's the job of the shepherds to actually deal with that, sort it out. He says, remember that for three years, Paul said, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Like Paul's established this church, he's established leaders, and with tears he's saying, make sure this doesn't blow up. Make sure this is not torn apart uses the analogy wolves coming in, tearing the sheep apart. He says, Now I commit to you God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance for all those who are sanctified. It's kind of like saying, you're the shepherds, keep leading the sheep into the green pastures, into God, relationship with God, through his word, through that message of grace. It's not because you've earned it, because you're special, it's because of God's love for you. That you are there that's the role keep protect them and guide them back to god back to him so what does that look like on the ground for shepherds uh, leading us here you do want an elder a shepherd to care enough to protect you it's interesting even in the old testament you got little king david before he was made king he was a shepherd he used to talk about how he would killed a bear and a lion to protect his sheep it's like he's not worried about himself he was worried about protecting the sheep that he would put his life on the line like that so what does that look like 
and I think it's a similar question to um, what do our elders really do? We don't see them doing much, but what do they really do? It's a good question. And this kind of the broad answer is, well, they protect the sheep. They protect the sheep. See, elders have to deal with uh, some major issues. And I don't know, personally, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, that person is a wolf. Uh, it's usually much more complicated than that. But it is, they have to deal with these things. Now, a lot of these things are, are done t for your protection that we don't just raise from the front of the church. But, um, but there's, a, yeah, just to give you a little a snippet into that, a number of years ago, there's enough water under the bridge, I think I can mention it, that uh, there was a couple, a husband and wife, come to church, said they were Christians, hooked them into a growth group quickly. They were involved in two different growth groups. Uh, they were serving in a team. Uh, in some ministry roles as well. They're part of the life of our church. But then after some time, after they got connected, settled in, in the growth groups particularly, we started to hear back, actually, uh, when we read the Old Testament, this is our Southsiders asking me, um, we actually believe this really happened, right? I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about? Oh, just there's discussion in our growth groups that they think they're just a whole bunch of stories, that metaphors to teach us about. I'm like, where are you getting that from? Oh, well, actually, this person just really has this conviction. It's just turned our growth group upside down. So we had to talk to them about this. Well, yeah, no, we, that's not real. Well, actually, I think there's good evidence to say it is. So the first thing we did was to try and convince them that the Bible is actually real. Jesus did really rise from the dead. It's just not a metaphor. And that you need to follow him, trust in him. And they wouldn't. Like, oh, no, no. They still call themselves Christians, but they wouldn't trust in Jesus so we're going, actually your place is not in growth group because that's where people grow in maturity Christians grow in their growth group growth groups we do life together people drop their guards they trust each other they're sharing their lives with each other somebody comes along and they're not even a Christian but actually trying to pull you away from Christianity and your understanding of the Bible that's a danger you might even say a wolf so it become we had to go and unpack that then meet up with the growth groups and say actually we've asked these people to stop coming because um, they're leading you astray serving on a team actually this is what Southsiders do because we love Jesus we love others but if you're not trusting Jesus that way you shouldn't be serving there we had to do a lot of repair work that was that took a toll took relational toll to deal with that the lesson learned from us is, uh, as the leadership, as the elders, is actually we need to do better at protecting our people. Uh, so that's why now, when you come along, you go, why is it so hard to get into a growth group? Because we're protecting our growth groups. People in those growth groups uh, share lives together. We're just not going to let anybody just to drop into a growth group. We actually want to make sure you're on the same page. So we're trying to make it better to protect the flock keep away the wolves but there's there's something else going on there that I think if I can if I'm allowed to push the analogy a bit of the shepherd thing uh, I grew up on a farm not with sheep with cattle but I know for cattle they spook easy I'm, I'm assuming if a sheep sees a wolf they're going to run they're going to spook but I know for cattle if they see a snake or a stray dog they panic they run in all different directions and it's very hard to get them back together again I actually think that's a lot like us that we, you might say we spook easy or we panic easy or we jump to conclusions easy, we cause divisions easy, we run in different directions easy when we see something that's not right. So our elders jump in there 
it's much easier to deal with the snake or the dog without the cattle knowing because we can get rid of the problem. The cows are just you know, feeding on the grass and, and, and peace and unity and harmony. So a lot of stuff that elders do is actually seeking out those things to protect the people. We deal with stuff, but it's actually, what do they do? Well, actually, if you don't know about what they do, it actually kind of means they're doing a good job of protecting you. We don't want it to be a distraction from the gospel so they deal with stuff a lot of stuff behind closed doors that kind of i don't know it's very hard it'd be very easy for our elders to come up and go we've been really busy look how important we are because we've dealt with this matter this matter this matter but actually it shoots down everything they're trying to do because they've actually raised a whole lot of chaos in your lives so they bear the burden of that even if they don't look, they don't come out looking good in it. Uh, they don't get the credit, they don't get the thanks, they don't uh, do that, but they do care for you. And I can assure you, our elders treat this church as the most precious possession through the blood of Jesus, that they will protect you again and again. That's the sort of elder you want to follow, isn't it? They've got my best interest at heart, that they're going to save me. They're going to protect me again and again. The third thing is that they care enough to give. And Paul throws this line in there when he's giving instructions to the elders. He says, I have covered, I've not coveted anyone's silver, gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I... Sh- I showed, I showed you that this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So Paul's saying, what did I gain from this? Did I do it for a profit? Did I, am I saving up for my retirement fund by you know, sponging off you guys? Paul hasn't got a retirement fund. He's actually going to Jerusalem to probably die. He's giving again. Was he chasing, through his leadership, was he chasing power and influence? Was he feeling his own pride? But actually, Paul would go in, do this hard work of setting up the church, and then just move on. He wouldn't enjoy the position of leadership. He didn't do that either. He says, I gave my time, I gave my talents, I brought in my treasures, I took nothing. But yet he said, I was blessed, as Jesus said. Better to give than receive. He says, I was blessed through what I did in pouring out myself for you guys. I love this in this context of this conversation because it actually is very warming and endearing and it actually disarms any scepticism we have towards our leaders. It's when somebody gets put appointed to leadership, we often ask, it's our natural default position, what's in it for you? What are you doing this for? What are you getting out of it? That's what we ask. Where Paul says, get nothing out of it. And through this, you know, well, you must really care about me then. You care that you would give more than you take. That's genuine. See, if a leader says they care enough about you to, to, to give all they can, they're a leader worth following because they're a leader that's in it for you and not them. And they back up it with their actions. It's not just empty words. You see it lived out in their lives. They're giving their time. They're using their talents. They're using their treasures to build up the body of the church. You see it in action. They're someone you want to follow. So humanly speaking, in our church, 
There is nothing in it for our elders. They're not paid positions. Uh, in fact, it's going to cost those people as elders. There's the expectations, the book I held up before, there's a lot of expectations on an elder. It's going to cost them to serve the church this way. Time, talents, treasures. We talk about in our eldership how we're serving, how we're leading, how that's going, how we're giving. We did that exercise last year with the rest of the congregation, sharing how we're giving. Are we doing that? Are we people who are leading that other people will follow? Because we're not following a person because they've just got a title. We're actually following because we love to follow them because we see that they're giving everything for us. And they'll do it again and again. They care enough to give, pour themselves out. They also care enough to love. See, we get this funny little thing happening at the end of this. It just makes it all very real at the end of this conversation. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and they prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again when they sent him off on the ship. Now, I don't think men cry easily. You know, particularly if they're in a circle of people and someone says, you know, look, I'm on this journey, I might die soon. You might shed a tear for somebody who you know a little bit. That'd be sad, no doubt. But these guys are hugging each other, they're kissing Paul, they're weeping. You don't do that over somebody who's just uh, an associate. You do that for people you love. They love Paul. Paul loves them. So you get this amazing picture that, that Paul's just pouring himself out. Why do they love him so much? He's got to ask a question. You know, if somebody here was to go, I'm dying, I'm not going to be here. What would make us pour out our emotions like that? He actually said something a little bit earlier in his uh, speech to them, a uh, bit before we had a look at, in verse 24, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, what they see in Paul, Paul's been the watchman. He's been the one blowing the trumpet. I care enough about you to convict you of your sin and to encourage you to trust in Jesus and find life. He's been the good watchman. He's been the good shepherd. He's actually protected other people, uh, other people coming in and taking them away from Jesus. And he's also given himself into this. They see it when he says this. Paul's not just using words. They've seen it in his actions. Now, we know you care about us. We know you love us. We know you've got our best interests. And to see him go, they're breaking down hugs and kisses and tears. Because there's a genuineness, a real love in that picture. Paul was not someone just they willingly followed. Paul was someone they loved to follow because they knew he cared for them. They loved following him. And you can see through this whole speech, it's just a little window into this relationship that he's got with them. It's just a beautiful picture. But Paul didn't make this up. Paul is not the hero in this story. He's the one going, hey, I've, I've, you know, you've seen me in action. But he actually says uh, in another letter, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says to, to everybody, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because Paul's just doing what Jesus, the mission Jesus had him on. 
Be the watchman. Be the shepherd. Be the one loving people and pouring yourself out. You'll be blessed through it. There's a high cost, but you'll be blessed through it and you'll have life and hopefully you'll save many others with you. Paul's followed the example of Jesus because Jesus has done all that. Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Jesus was the one fighting off the wolves. Jesus the one that gave himself even to death for his love for sinners, his love for us. It's all about Jesus. Now, this is especially for leaders, everything that Paul's talked about. But when you think about it, this is particularly relevant for all of us as followers of Jesus, isn't it? That we all should be striving to proclaim the message of Jesus, blow the trumpet. That we all should be trying to protect each other as shepherds. That we all should be loving each other and giving more than we take. It's for all of us. So when we talk about eldership here at church, it's not just, hey, I think this person's got the potential to do this. I think it's actually we need to be looking around at each other and go, actually, who's already doing this that I want to follow, that I want to make him an elder? Who's already doing it is more the question. I want to leave you three things to consider. First one, you want elders um, you, want elders you know who love you that they're not in it for themselves, that they will weep over lost souls. Whether you're struggling, whether you're drifting off, that they weep and run for you, for your children, for your friends and family. Elders you trust, that you're not just willing to follow, but you love to follow them, because they know you've got your, they, you know they've got your best interests. And they're already doing it. They're already doing it amongst us. So first thing, you want elders you know who love you. Second thing, uh, it's in our system of nominations where we invite you to have a say. So, yeah, there's a bit of a process, but this is our engagement with you guys and we want to encourage you guys to be a part of this process. Who do you love to follow in, in our church? And we rarely go through this process, every four or five years, we don't do this too often, uh, so not everybody's familiar with our system. In fact, I was talking to Dan just about, have we got many nominations? There's a handful of nominations. But the interesting thing is people who have been in the Prezi Church for some time have made nominations. Kind of like it's familiar, they know how it works. Uh, but I want to encourage you guys, if you are a member of Southside to make a nomination, it doesn't matter if you haven't been around that long. And I think people think five years before I really become a local. No, no, we want to know from you who you love to follow, you can see would set the example for you. Particularly you younger guys. I'll look over this way. I'm trying not to discriminate, but you younger guys, if you're a member, not, we want to know who would you follow. They don't have to be old like me to be an elder. You have to be male because it's biblical. You have to be over 21 because there's some maturity in that. Uh, and you have to be a member. They're the three things uh, according to our rules. So if you've got somebody in your growth groups as a good leader, a team leader, and you go, actually, they do a really good job, I'm happy to follow them, send an email and make nominations. Now, I know that the email hasn't been printed on your service sheet and stuff, so I'm hoping it's going to come up on the screen right now. Take a photo, write it down. You need to email Dan just to say, hey, Dan, um, I think so-and-so would make a good elder and I nominate them. Just two sentences is fine. We want to hear from you. This is an invitation for you to be a part of the process. That's been open for two weeks, today's the last day, at the end of the day. So you've got all day to think about it, pray about it, 
I'm suggesting you could talk to them about it, but in a sense, uh, I've spoken to a couple of the guys about, hey, would you be interested in being an elder? And they've gone, oh, look, I'm sometimes for good reason, they're very hesitant, sometimes just being humble. So I'm suggesting if we know that you support them, we can go back to them and go, hey, you know there's a number of people that says, we think you'd make a good elder, can you reconsider? So I'm just saying, give us your, give us your nominations. Don't even talk to them, they'll be right, we'll sort that out. They'll love it. They're only signing up to a six-page book. It's nothing, really. Really. Um, uh, you, you need to know, uh, yeah, you want elders who know love you. You need to have your say, and this is the moment. There's the email. The third thing, I think we need to just pause for a moment and praise God for our elders who are here and have been serving us. This church has been on a journey where, you know, in my time, in less than 20 years, from 10 people to now, like 270 people with kids, uh, gone from a little old house into this amazing building, seen many souls saved, gone from death to life. They've heard the watchtower, the, the trumpet blowing, they've heard the message of Jesus, had lives changed, uh, marriages and kids being born. Like, there's a lot of things that have happened over time under the supervision of our elders. And the thing that delights me most is the way Southside has got a culture of unity and unity around a vision, our love for the lost, wanting to reach the 1%, confidence in Jesus that he does actually change lives. But also know that our elders, being in many meetings, they hurt when people hurt. You know, we want to know how the congregation's going. Don't be afraid to talk to your elders about, hey, I'm really worried about this or struggling with this. They hurt when people hurt. They hurt when there's disunity. They hurt when people drift away in their faith. They do take their responsible really, really seriously. They also have amazing wives that support them because eldership does take time and their wives... Uh, are very gracious in allowing them to serve the church in that way, many nights out. And we want to continue this journey with you, with new people coming to faith. We want to protect the flock that's so precious to Jesus and we want to see more people coming. So we need strong leaders and we praise God for the journey we've been on so far as a church together. I'm going to pray now, but I do encourage you, there's that action point, to consider who, who would you follow? Who would you love to follow? To pray about that. Shoot down an email and that'll keep the process going. Let me pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for our time together now as a church, just to talk about a little bit of stuff that's the way you've been at work in us. Lord, I thank you for Jesus that's opened the door for us to come into your kingdom and into your family. The message of life through your word, through grace, through the leadership that involves the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for what you've been doing here real things that we can see happening around us. But Lord, we want that to keep going. We long for more people to be saved. We long for our kids to grow up as disciples of Jesus. Lord, we long for unity and enjoyment. So Lord, we pray for good godly leaders. We pray for this process that, yeah, your spirit would be developing leaders, the leaders we need, the leaders people long to follow. But Lord, we just commit ourselves to you in our brokenness. Because even as elders, when we get together, we feel unworthy and incapable. So Lord, thank you for not abandoning us in this mission, but you lead us. You lead us, Lord. And we long to be all together on that day when you return, when you take us home into eternity. So Lord, keep watch over us, protect us and lead us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.